Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 588 for the 15th of April, 2018. This week, it is not uncommon for people to say that a second monitor will just clutter their workspace, but few would ever want to go back to a single monitor after trying to. Let's consider the advantages. In short circuits, a relatively new open source video editor, Shotcut, looks promising because it packs a lot of versatility into a free application that runs on Windows, Mac OS, and Linux. The Windows 10 Spring Update is coming soon. You can get it sooner, delay it, or just get it when you get it. The high screen resolution on many new laptop and notebook computers is great for photographs. Text, though, is microscopic. Scaling comes to the rescue, sometimes. In spare parts, only on the website, a survey says that a little more than half of us are comfortable with the use of artificial intelligence in medical settings. Crime scene investigators carry increasingly sophisticated gear into the field, and robocalls, spam, and scams continue to increase. That probably comes as news to approximately nobody. I'm going to go out on a limb slightly here and make a prediction. If you ever work with a computer that has two monitors, you will never willingly go back to using just one. Even those who are adamant that a second monitor will just get in their way are usually sold on the idea after just a few minutes. Fortunately, decent monitors are less expensive than they used to be, and setting them up is really pretty easy. Just as television screens have changed over the years, so have computer monitors. In the 1980s, we used monitors that measured 12 or maybe 14 inches diagonally. Initially, they were monochrome, usually green or orange, and they displayed only text. And then we got graphics and colors, and monitors began to get bigger. But large monitors could be 18 inches deep or more, and they might weigh 50 pounds. They also would make even an air-conditioned room unbearably hot. LCD and LED monitors have changed all that. Flat-screen monitors were absurdly expensive at first. Buying one was a challenge. Buying two was out of the question financially for individuals or businesses. Exceptions were made for people who needed multiple views. Stockbrokers, for example. As prices dropped, businesses realized that their employees could be more efficient when they had two monitors. Now it seems that most businesses either issue all employees systems with two monitors or provide a second monitor to anybody who wants one. This makes a lot of sense for business, but it also makes sense for individuals. Many computers come with connections for two monitors, and there are hardware options for those that don't. Anybody who spends very much time at all working with digital photographs will welcome a second monitor. Consider Adobe Lightroom Classic CC, for example. I keep presets, profiles, adjustment tools, a film strip, and the reference image on my left monitor. As a result, the image itself is relatively small, even on a 27-inch monitor. 
The right monitor can display a light table view with thumbnails of a lot of images. That's handy for sorting and organizing images. But when I'm working on an individual image, it can show a close-up view that shows the image with its adjustments, either full screen or zoomed way in to reveal image details. For writers, the word processor will usually occupy the main screen. For me, that's the one on the left. For other people, it might be the one on the right. Reference materials, a browser, a dictionary, or a second word processor document can be displayed on the secondary screen. The goal is to be able to glance at the secondary screen for information while working on the main screen. If you routinely need to move one window out of the way to be able to see something that's in another window, you need a second monitor. Even if you think you're not a power user, consider how you might use a second monitor. Maybe your primary computer use involves email or a browser, but you'd like to keep an eye on Facebook or Twitter. Or maybe you'd like to have a motion picture on the second screen. Software developers make good use of multiple monitors. One screen might hold documentation for the project they're working on, or a different view of the code, or possibly a window where they can run the code in test mode. And if you're a serious video gamer, you probably already have a second monitor, or maybe a third. It's no longer uncommon to find systems with three monitors. Several editors I know have setups with three monitors, one is rotated 90 degrees, so it's more like a sheet of paper. The other monitors hold dictionaries, style manuals, the publisher's style guide, things like that, reference materials. This kind of setup eliminates the time that would be otherwise wasted trying to find that reference information. Probably there are earlier articles about using multiple monitors, but I found one by PC World in Tips and Tweaks, two monitors are way better than one, all the way back in 2005. 13 years ago. So this isn't exactly a new concept. But can't we just use a single large monitor with a lot of windows? Maybe this would work with a huge monitor, one with a 50-inch diagonal measurement. But I found that it's not really a good solution. I tried it once. One primary disadvantage is obvious when the user wants to make one of the windows larger. On a dual monitor setup, you just make that window full screen on the second monitor, and your primary monitor is untouched. On a single monitor, the large single window takes over the entire screen, or you spend a lot of time dragging and resizing manually. An external monitor can be connected to most notebook computers, but that's rarely a good solution because the built-in monitor and the external monitor almost always have different sizes and resolutions. It's better to buy two matching monitors and hook them both up to the computer. Notebooks that have DisplayPort video adapters can usually handle two monitors easily, but computers with only HDMI ports may need some additional hardware, a special adapter or maybe a docking station. And if you need a docking station, take a look at offerings from third-party manufacturers such as Targus, Kensington, StarTech, Wavelink, and lots of others. These are usually less expensive than docking stations with the computer manufacturer's badge, and they often have additional features. Computers made in the past few years will probably have DisplayPort or HDMI video ports. DisplayPort is the most recent adapter type, and you'll find DisplayPort on Macs, most Dell computers, and those by HP and Lenovo. 
HDMI is the default connector for televisions, Blu-ray players, and a lot of other video devices. Older systems will have DVI connectors, and unfortunately there are six DVI variants. DVI-D for digital-only connections available in single and dual versions. DVI-I, which handles analog or digital connections, also single or dual. And DVI-A for analog-only connections. There's also a DMS-59 connector. Dual-link DVI-I is the most common. Hardware connections are usually pretty easy to figure out, and then all you need to do is tell the computer that a second monitor is attached. In fact, the computer will undoubtedly tell you that a second monitor is attached, but you will need to tell the computer how you want to use it. Both Windows and Mac OS offer similar options. On the website, I show Windows 10 primarily to display what's available, but the Mac OS has very similar options. The operating system will detect the monitors and provide a way for you to tell which is which. Windows displays numbers that are based on the order in which the monitors have been detected. You can then drag them so that they're side by side or one above the other. Then you need to provide some additional information. The size of the text will usually be set to 100% for most external monitors. You'd need to change that only for high-resolution internal monitors on notebooks and tablet computers where the text is too small to read otherwise. More on that later in the program. The operating system will select the monitor's native resolution. That should not be changed. Orientation is another setting that you have a choice for, and it determines whether the monitor is going to be wide in landscape mode or tall in portrait mode. Most users won't need to change any of those. However, you will want to specify how the monitor is used, and there are several options. The first is duplicate. It shows the same image on both screens. That's the message that's used for PowerPoint presentations so the presenter sees on the computer what the audience sees on the large screen. You probably won't do that with a dual monitor setup. Extend is probably what you'll want. It allows you to drag an application from one screen to another or to stretch it across multiple screens. You also have the option of show only on one or show only on two. That setting moves all windows to the selected screen and turns the other one off. You would use that one if you have two monitors but want to use only one. Why is this even an option? As much as I like dual monitors with a single computer, there is something better. Dual monitors with dual computers. Most monitors have two or more inputs. The ones I use actually have four. There are two HDMI ports, one Display Port, and one VGA port. The inputs are selected from the front panel, so I can connect my Lenovo ThinkPad to HDMI 1 and an iBook Pro to HDMI 2. When used with an AB switch that swaps the mouse, keyboard, and digitizing tablet between the two systems, I have a lot of choices without having to take up a lot of space on the desk for two computers. You'll see pictures on the TechFighter Worldwide website showing the dual monitor setup with Windows and the same dual monitor setup running Mac OS. But if you have an Apple computer, beware. An update from Apple, very recent update from Apple, has created a problem for those who enable multiple monitors via USB connections. If your Mac has mini HDMI or mini DisplayPort connectors, you won't see this problem. 
only if you're using video through USB. Updating from Mac OS 10.13.3 to 10.13.4 could be a problem for you. According to Extreme Tech, users of DisplayLink technologies and compatible monitors will have found their ability to use these solutions sharply curtailed at best. Other screen extension tools appear to be affected as well. That's from Extreme Tech. Follow the link on the TechBiter Worldwide website if you'd like to see the full article, but in brief, here's what it says. The bug does not affect computers with external monitors connected to a GPU-driven port and appears not to affect displays connected via Thunderbolt. But Extreme Tech points out that it is clear from reading various comments and product forums that plenty of people have been blindsided by this change with no solution from Apple in sight. There is a temporary solution if you are using one of the affected technologies just don't upgrade the operating system to 10.13.4 just yet. Just about everybody has a video camera now. In fact, most of us carry a video camera around with us in our pocket. Smartphones can capture high-resolution video, so can most digital cameras, even the low-priced ones. So maybe you'd like to have a video editor, but you use it so infrequently that you're not willing to pay for it. Enter Shotcut. It runs on Windows, Mac OS, and Linux, and free here means free. There's no paid version, there are no advertisements, there is no bundled crapware. For testing, I installed Shotcut on a Mac, but Windows users will find that it's a good replacement for the Windows Movie Maker, which is no longer included with Windows. If you have used other video editing software, you might be a little puzzled when you open Shotcut because it has a very plain interface. In fact, it doesn't look like any other video editor. To be quite honest, it doesn't even look like any video editor. So it's obvious from the start that this is not Adobe Premiere or even Premiere Elements. The plain interface might even convince you that there's not much here, but persist. Start by making the interface a little less plain. You can open a timeline, then open a playlist, then drag a video file onto the playlist and add it to the timeline. Now it looks a little more like a video editor. Pressing the space bar starts and stops playback. The most basic video edits involve removing unwanted parts things that happened before the main event or after it, that process is really easy. If the part you don't want is at the beginning or the end of the sequence, just click and hold the left edge or the right edge of the video on the timeline and move the mouse until you've eliminated the part you don't want. Good news here, this is non-destructive. If you overshoot or change your mind later, just move the edge back to where it was. To split a clip when you want to remove extraneous material from inside, Place the playback head where you want to split the clip, tap the split icon, move to the end of the section you want to remove, and repeat the process. Then select the clip to be removed and delete it. Once you've done that, it's time to assemble the remaining pieces to transition from one scene to another. And that's typically done with a simple cut or a crossfade. Shotcut does both easily. For a smooth crossfade transition, overlap one video clip on another. If you prefer a cut, place the clips side by side with no overlap. Shotcut turns on a snap function by default, 
so the video clips will stick together and not leave any dead space between them. That's all pretty basic. More advanced users will want to be able to add video tracks and audio tracks. That's just the start for those who want to become advanced video editors. Shotcut includes filters that can be used to adjust brightness, color, and contrast of the video, or to adjust the audio, and more. The included features are surprising for a free application, and Shotcut's developers have even provided some online tutorials. There's a link to those from the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll find competing video editors with more power and competing video editors that are easier to use. But it's doubtful that you'll find a competing video editor that's free and has Shotcut's capabilities. For more information or to download the free application, visit the Shotcut website. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website, www.techbiter.com. Microsoft has started pushing the Windows 10 Spring Update out, that's version 1803, and you have several options. Just sit back and relax. If you do that, you get what you get when you get it. End of story. Or maybe you'd like to get it as soon as it's available. And of course you know that not all users will receive the update on the first day. Or maybe you'd like to delay the update. Let's consider the options. If you want to just get what you get, well, that's all you got to do. Just sit there and wait. Second option, you want it now. Well, before going to get the update, check to see if you already have it. Open Settings, click the System icon, then choose About, scroll down until you see the Windows Specifications area, and look for the version number. If you see 1803, your computer already has the update. Assuming you see 1709 or 1607, your computer has an earlier version. You can obtain the update if you don't yet have it. Open Settings, click the Update and Security icon, then click Check for Updates. This might show you the Spring Update, or maybe not. If not, you can enroll in the Windows Insider program by clicking Windows Insider program at the bottom of the left column and then following the instructions. Once you've done that and installed the Spring Update, which will actually be the final beta version of the Windows Insider Slow Ring, remember to opt out of the program if you don't want to receive the next beta version. Third option, maybe you want to delay it. Even Windows 10 home users now have some control over updates, but it's complicated. First, if you're running Windows 10 Pro and you want to delay the update, open Settings, click the Update and Security icon, then click Advanced Options under Update Settings. Here's where you can choose what to install and control to a limited extent when. For the channel, you have two options, semi-annual targeted and semi-annual. Semi-annual targeted will install the update when it's released generally. That's what most people will have. Semi-annual, without the word targeted, will delay the update for approximately four months. There is an option for feature updates delay. You can set non-security updates to be delayed for up to 365 days. There is an option for delaying quality updates. These are security updates. You can set these updates to be delayed for up to 30 days. And a fourth option, pause updates. If you select that option, it will delay all updates for approximately one month. 
Windows 10 home users still need to fib to the operating system by setting the internet connection to metered. Do this by opening settings, clicking on the network and internet icon, selecting Ethernet in the left column, then click the name of the connection to open a dialog box and move the set as metered connection switch to the right. That will probably, probably, probably delay the update, but eventually the update will be forced and the timing is really unpredictable. New notebook and tablet computers often come with astonishingly high-resolution screens. My notebook system has a 15.6-inch screen, relatively large for a laptop, but still pretty small when compared to external monitors. The resolution is 1920 by 1080. Text is far too small to read if I'm using the built-in monitor. And imagine using a screen with even finer resolution. They do exist. There are notebook computers with resolutions as high as 4096 by 2160. A Microsoft Surface Pro tablet has a 12.3-inch screen. That's pretty small. And the resolution, 1736 by 1824. That's wonderful for photographs. For text, though, not so much. Fortunately, you can adjust the text scaling. That's a lot better than trying to set the screen to a non-native resolution. Old-style CRT monitors could be set to lower resolutions without degrading the text. That doesn't work very well for flat-screen monitors. Using anything but the screen's native resolution will make the text fuzzy. So the solution is to adjust the scaling factor for text. Windows can adjust the scaling to various percentages, if you start with a 4096 by 2160 monitor, you can scale it to 200%. You'll effectively have a 2048 by 1080 monitor. The text will still be a bit small, but you will be able to read it. The scaling available depends on your computer's video subsystem and the screen itself. To see what options you have, open Settings, then click on the System icon, choose Display from the left column, and then use the options under the Scale and Layout heading. You can then choose a scaling factor other than the recommended option by expanding the list under Scale and Layout. Beware, though, not all applications will scale properly. This is more of a problem with older applications than with current ones that have been optimized for Windows 10. Don't worry about scaling spare parts, though. It's only on the website and doesn't really need to be scaled. This week, a survey says that a little more than half of us are comfortable with the use of artificial intelligence in medical settings. Crime scene investigators carry increasingly sophisticated gear into the field, and robocalls, spam, and scams continue to increase. That probably comes as news to approximately nobody. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.